What's up everybody, this is Taylor from Game Devs Quest with this week's quick tip. If you find yourself going to a handful of sites that are always distracting you when you should be working, try editing your PC's host file. On Windows, if you pull up a run command, uh, type in notepad space c colon backslash windows backslash system32 backslash drivers backslash etc backslash hosts and hit OK. It'll bring up your system's host file. In the host file, you can go to the end of the document, type an IP address. You could just do your local host, which is 127.0.0.1. Do a couple tabs and then type the website that you get distracted by. For instance, www.facebook.com. If you save that file and then try to go to www.facebook.com, you'll end up having problems loading the page. This will help boost your productivity. It'll basically block access to specific websites on your machine. And in order to gain access to those, again, you'd have to go and re-edit the host file. Um, I'll link to a how-to geek article in the show notes that shows you how to do this on Linux and Mac. But it's a super handy way to make sure you're not getting distracted by these different websites. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode of Game Devs Quest. I am your host, Taylor. This week, uh, Rhett is around, but I figured... I'd spend some time, just kind of like I did with the interview preparation episode, I figure I'd do the second part to that. Um, So this last week, I had my second in-person interview. Um, The first was the phone interview that you heard about on the last episode. So yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit about how the whole interview process went. Obviously, at this point, um, I haven't heard anything back, so I'm not sure if I will be offered a position or what, but I'll let you all know about that. However, um, I thought it'd be worthwhile to talk about sort of the differences in the first and second interview, some types of questions they asked me and, and what was what it was like, things that I've learned and uh, things that I'll do differently the next time. And then after that, I'm going to get into our first design pattern of the week. Uh, so I'm not sure how long this episode's going to go. It might be a short one, but we'll take it as we go. So yeah, let's get into the interview. Like I said last time, uh, phone interview was short. It was five questions, semi-technical, but not really anything direct. This interview was much longer. Uh, it was a full hour instead of just a half an hour, which meant they asked me more questions. There were also uh, six people on the interview panel that uh, had various positions on the team that I would be be hired to. There was a manager, several developers, a QA person, and uh, project manager. So lots of different people that you could talk to about different types of things. I uh, just thought it was kind of interesting who was there and, and why. So it was kind of weird because I didn't know that I'd be interviewing this last week. I interviewed on Friday and I was uh, talking with the HR people basically going back and forth. And originally they said uh, I would interview that Friday, and then they pushed it back to January 31st uh, for a couple days. And so 
I sort of got lax and didn't spend as much time thinking about the interview, preparing and all that. And then on Thursday, they actually said, oh, can, sorry, there was a mix up. Can we go ahead and do uh, Friday, which was tomorrow at that point? And I was like, I was kind of scared to say yes, but I did anyways, just because I thought it'd be nice to be flexible. And also I kind of wanted to get it over with. So yeah, I went ahead and did that on Friday. Um, I got super nervous that Thursday because I hadn't been preparing as hard. But honestly, I think it was probably good that I had a little bit of a break and wasn't in like answer questions mode. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I got really stressed out. I spent basically that whole night worried. Um, I tried to answer a bunch of questions just like I did. I felt like I didn't know the answers that I answered on the or to the questions that I answered on the podcast originally. I was just kind of like psyching myself out. So I ended up sitting in my office, just listening to some music and thinking about generally my experience as a developer to kind of come in prepared to talk about the things that I've done rather than just answers to questions. And I think that helped me out. I I just was really reflective on all of the projects that I've worked on and tried to think of them as software projects instead of mostly just games or whatever. I tried to think, you know, how do these things pertain to what questions they might ask me? And I think that actually was really good. So I would say definitely you want to prepare for these things. Um, If it's a technical interview, which mine were not, and I wasn't sure if they were going to be technical interviews or not, I would say definitely prepare, watch a lot of videos, do a lot of practice coding, but also a lot of whiteboarding, writing things down without you know, having IntelliSense and things like that. And I think you might know which types of jobs will have those technical type interviews. This one was very sort of open-ended and didn't say a lot of specific details in the job description. So kind of feel it out. You may even ask, like if you get contacted by HR, ask them if there will be a technical interview piece to it just to help you prepare properly. But yeah, again, don't prepare, but don't over-prepare. Really think about yourself, about situations you've been in on any type of team. It doesn't have to be a programming team. And try to anticipate some of those questions people would ask about problems you've had working with teams, how you communicate, what type of team you might want to be on, and then also just like problems that you may have had during production of a software project and think about all the different projects you've you've worked on and try to remember some of the things that you've uh, run into that are problematic or challenging because that's what they want to know they want to know basically how do you solve problems how are you on a team and you know showing those through experiences that you've had rather than just general things to say And that was actually a tip that I got from Manbeard Games, which it sounds, when I say it, it sounds kind of obvious, but you may not think it while you're interviewing. It's just they they really want to get to know you. So come in loaded with examples of things you've done in the past, things you've worked on, and be able to articulate some of those things. So thanks, Manbeard Games, for the tip. I think that really helped. I tried in every question to give some sort of example 
for the most part, there was a couple that didn't really apply, but I think that at least allowed them to get to know me. So also once you get in the interview, so this is actually uh, going back to just feeling really nervous and kind of psyched out. I was super nervous the whole morning. Like I could feel it in my gut, the anticipation. You just want to get in there and get it over with. So do what you can to, to calm yourself down. I started listening to some metal that just felt good. It got my energy up, but also sort of calmed me down. And then a little bit before the interview, I spent maybe five minutes doing a meditation exercise, focusing on breathing. I noticed that my breath was like getting short. So just try to try to do everything you can to calm yourself down. I have this tendency to get really freaked out before something happens. And then as soon as I start, I calm down. Like once you're in the moment, it's all fine. You just, you feel it out. You see who's in the room. You get to experience their reactions to what you're saying. And it's not as bad. And honestly, like in some ways, this interview was somewhat cathartic and also trance-like. That's a weird thing to say, but I remember doing it. I remember being in the moment, but now that it's done, it's like I could barely remember fine details about it. And I think sort of when I was in the room saying my answers, they were just like coming out of me sort of. Like, this is weird. I feel like an idiot. But <laughs> it's like it, once you get there, everything's going to be fine, especially if you've prepared. I mean, if, if you don't prepare, you don't have answers, that's hard, but do your best to try and answer everything. Even if you, like, for instance, I had a question about design patterns that I didn't really know how to answer. It was something along the lines of when would you use a design pattern? When wouldn't you? I don't know if I really know the answer to that question, but I gave them examples of times that I chose to use design patterns and when an example of when I didn't use a design pattern and it hurt me. So I don't think I fully answered their question, but I related it back to kind of the core of the question, which is like, do you know what design patterns are? So that's the other thing. Just, you know, be yourself. Like I said, once you get into the room, it's not as intimidating as you thought. And if you're yourself, like I found myself joking a little bit every once in a while or saying something and then laughing about it and the room just like super lightened up so another thing that was helpful this last week was that our library was going through interviews for a new library director and we got to sit in on some of those processes and one of them was like a presentation piece and one of the candidates was like so nervous and it almost like became this this thing where her nervousness made her ner more nervous and it was like just continuing to compound upon itself. And so if you get all psyched up and you can't get over that, it's going to be a really hard experience. So just try to relax, try to be yourself. And once you're, your, you're yourself, you'll feel the room lighten up and then it's just like you're talking to people. You know, I tried to not put anyone on a pedestal there and say like, oh my gosh, these people are software developers and I really want to be a software developer. Like, 
and they know so much more than me. You know, I tried not to do that and try to just see it as like, hey, I'm talking to these people. And especially if you're coming from a game development side, I talked to a decent amount about the Lumberjack game that I was making. And I felt like they thought it was interesting and unique, you know, because a lot of software developers probably don't talk about making video games. And so I think it was kind of relatable. It made me feel like they they thought I was kind of different, you know? And so it was just, it kind of calmed the room down. It, or at least it felt like that from, from my perspective. So just be yourself. Try to lighten the ad- or the atmosphere a little bit. But also read the questions. Like if they're asking you something about like a really challenging experience, like maybe don't joke too much depending on what it is you're talking about. Or if you're talking about an experience that you had that was challenging, but there was something funny in there, that's okay to throw it in there. Might get a couple laughs. Just read the audience. I had the benefit of at least knowing of all of the people on my interview panel, which helped. But sometimes that freaks me out even more because then there's like a certain expectation of who I am, you know, beforehand. So it's kind of like either proving a stereotype wrong or whatever it is. So anyways, generally, um, those are some of my tips that I got from coming out of the interview. They asked me 12 questions. Most of them were sort of tangentially technical. But a lot of them were, again, kind of broad. And there was only one question that was like directly technical. And it was basically a question about a sorting algorithm. But not the algorithm itself, more like how do you, how would you think about this sorting algorithm kind of a thing. So the rest of them were all very general, I'd say. Like I said, there's that design patterns question. There's one about UI and uh, UX some things about my communication style, what makes a team uh, work well together, things like that. But yeah, overall, I felt good about it. I I don't know how I was perceived. I felt like I gave a lot of good examples that at least allowed them to get to know me. And that was the biggest part was they want to get to know you better once you get in that personal interview, in-person interview. And if they get to know you, and like you, they might overlook some things like inexperience and whatnot. So yeah, I'm hoping to find out soon. And uh, if any of you guys have questions about the experience I had, or you want to talk more in depth about how it went, what I what I would do in the future, what what I did that I felt was good, definitely hit me up in the Discord. I'm really happy to talk about it. Uh, it was a good experience overall. I know I talked about wanting to put myself in challenging situations this year. And it was, I mean, I was really freaked out, but now that I'm done with it, I'm so proud of myself for, for sitting in there and doing that. I may have made a fool out of myself. I don't really know, but either way, I gained a lot of knowledge by preparing for it, by going through the experience. And I think if this, like, if I don't get this position, or if this comes up again, I'm going to be in a better spot than if I hadn't done it. So I also heard that it's a good idea to just go out and interview generally like a couple times a year. And just to kind of stay in practice, you don't want to you know, get too old and rusty on interviewing. 
So even if that was all it was, that was fine. It was a good experience. So I would encourage anyone who is scared of applying for a software development job to just try it, especially if you have, you know, at least like six months to a year of experience and, you know, you can like build a website or you've built a couple games. That's enough to at least sort of have your foot in the door. The hard part is actually getting the your application submitted and accepted and getting a call back. I have definitely put in like at least a dozen applications to software development jobs and have never heard back. So it really helps that I knew somebody, um, which might have been the only reason why I actually got a call back. But definitely just try. You, you never know. It won't hurt. It's a little bit time consuming. But if you don't try, you're never going to have the opportunity. So I say push yourself and you know just do what you want to do with your life. So there are my two cents. Let's get into the bulk of the episode. So I want to talk about uh, design patterns. I mentioned that I am reading the Head First Design Patterns book, which I got out of a Humble Bundle, so I'm just reading it on my phone. I'll link to it in the show notes and uh, see how much it costs on Amazon. I imagine it's well, it's kind of a textbook, so it might be like 30 to 50 bucks. I'm not really sure, but it's definitely good. It All the examples are written in Java, which everyone says Java and C Sharp are really similar. And I haven't written Java in a long time, but honestly, reading this book, it's like, wow, it's basically the same, at least in syntax. So that has not really been a problem for me at all. The other resources I've mentioned before, uh, there's a couple YouTube channels that I highly recommend uh, for design patterns. And honestly, if you actually just go to YouTube and you type in design patterns, the first two that come up, there are these big uh, playlists, are the ones that I'd recommend. The first is by a guy named Christopher Okravi, and he's a PhD student in computer science. He gets really deep into stuff, very theoretical in some ways, and it's all whiteboarded instead of actual implementation. So these two resources, I think, actually really complement each other well because you have more of the theoretical side with Christopher Okravi and then Derek Banas, who has like literally, I I bet, hundreds of videos on programming topics Uh, He has a design patterns video series. He uses Java, which matches his book. And he actually goes through and implements the design patterns. So it's kind of nice to see them both, see the theoretical side and see them in action. Uh, The Christopher Okravi videos are much longer, usually anywhere from 30 30 minutes to over an hour. And the Derek Bannis ones are usually about 15 minutes, so... I'm just honestly going to do almost exactly what Christopher does, which is go in order of the book that I'm reading. So the first section of this book doesn't tell you what the design pattern is. It just basically goes into it. It explains a problem with object-oriented programming. And then it introduces a solution and finally tells you what the pattern you used was. So... The first pattern that I have read about and researched is the strategy pattern. I actually talked a little bit about the general idea of this pattern on a previous episode where I talked about using composition. And 
the pattern itself basically is an example of using composition. So if you remember from object-oriented programming, inheritance is an is-a relationship. Composition is a has-a relationship. So if you have a class that inherits from another class, the subclass is a whatever the base class is. Whereas with composition, it's generally a class that has an instance of another class inside of it. So that's kind of the difference there between inheritance and composition. Now, one thing I really liked about this book is that they have these uh, every couple pages or so, maybe every 10 pages, they have like these little tidbits of information that are just good ideas for uh, helping you identify when to use a design pattern or just good practice when programming in general. And I highlighted all of those. There's three in the first chapter that I want to highlight first off. So the first one says, identify the aspects of your application that vary and separate them from what stays the same. So I think essentially what that means is this is kind of an analysis of when you should be using inheritance versus when you should use composition. And it also helps you identify when to use like a concrete class versus an interface. And that is very important with the uh, strategy pattern, which we'll get into. But yeah, so read it again. Identify the aspects of your application that vary and separate them from what stays the same. So um, I'll get into an example that kind of explains why thinking that way is important. It also kind of just means you want your code to be as decoupled as possible because if things vary and your code is coupled, you're going to be in a design nightmare. So up front when you're planning for your whatever your software project is, definitely think about the components and which ones stay the same and which vary. The next one was program to an interface, not an implementation. So that's going back to what varies. If you program to an interface, then basically you can much better handle things that vary. Whereas if you program to an implementation, you're coupled again, your code is more coupled. and Essentially what that means is just that your code is kind of uh, intertwined. And if you needed to you know, make some sort of changes, maybe at runtime or whatever, it's much harder to, to get in and implement something that is different than your concrete implementation. And the last one that they have is favor composition over inheritance. So this also... I think the reason for this is because of this same type of thing. The more you favor inheritance over composition, the more coupled your code will be, which means it's harder to maintain and harder to refactor or whatever. So if you favor composition, which essentially means you're going to be implementing things in a more abstract way using interfaces, you're going to have an easier time making changes. So let's get into the actual strategy pattern itself. The definition that they give for this is 
The strategy pattern defines a family of algorithms, encapsulates each one, and makes them interchangeable. Strategy lets the algorithm vary independently from clients that use it. So I'm going to read it one more time because I need to understand it myself before I talk about it. And I think generally I do understand uh, the pattern itself, but it's it's good to know kind of the formal definition of it. So the strategy pattern defines a family of algorithms, encapsulates each one, and makes them interchangeable. Strategy lets the algorithm vary independent from clients that use it. So the way that that this actually works is basically uh, they're they're kind of talking about using the using well using composition over inheritance and abstracting out the algorithms themselves from com- uh, concrete implementations. So why don't we? I'll talk about sort of an example of where this can be problematic. So I think in my interview prep discussion, I, I gave this example, but I'm just going to do it again because this is what the book uses. Or actually, I think it's a little bit of a variation. But okay, so the problem with using inheritance, here's an example of, of a problem with using inheritance. All right, so let's say you have a base class that is a duck. Christopher goes over this too. <laughs> uh, you have a base class that's a duck, right? And the duck has, maybe it has like a name property, uh, type property. And what do ducks do? Well, they quack, they fly, right? So then you have a subclass, a set of subclasses, right? You might have a bunch of different types of ducks that inherit from the base class that is just the duck. So they inherit from that base class. They get all of the properties from the base class. And everything's good, right? Every duck should fly. Every duck should quack. Every duck has a name, right? Well, maybe. Let's start with, you have a mallard, right? That's a common one. In Oregon, we're the Oregon ducks, right? We got lots of ducks around here. We see mallards all the time. So a mallard duck, it has a name. It's a mallard. It can quack. In your code, you might have a method that's called quack. And... You know, this is all coming from the base class, right? And maybe all the method does is console.writeline quack, right? So then Mallard calls quack, and you see in the console the word quack. Same with fly, right? Mallards can fly, sure. The, they call the fly method, and there you go again, console.writeline fly. They see, or like, I'm flying or something, right? Okay, well, what happens if you introduce... A new type of duck, they use rubber duck, right? Well, rubber ducks, are they really a type of duck? Well, maybe. They, they squeak, so it's kind of a type of quack. It has a name, rubber duck. But can it fly? No, it can't fly. It doesn't have wings. It's not, it's not a living thing. So since it's already inherited from the base class, you're already having problems. It can't create its own version of fly, right? Um, Maybe maybe you want to write squeak instead of quack in the quack method or something. So as soon as it inherits from that, it 
can't unless it does some extra coding inside of itself it can't really change those methods those behaviors which is a common word you'll we'll start seeing so then you might think okay well maybe in the base class we don't want to have um, we don't want to have a fly method because not all ducks fly and then the subclasses can implement their own fly method sure we can do that however what happens if we have 50 subclasses like we look through the entire is that genus i don't know we look through all the ducks in the world and find that there are 50 to 100 different types of ducks now do you want to have to go out and implement 50 to 100 different fly methods i don't think so in a, in addition to that some ducks are going to have the same type of fly than others right like all live ducks probably will have the same type of fly uh, and all fake ones may have a similar type of fly, which is they can't fly. So remember when I was saying we want to separate out the things that are the same versus the things that vary? Let me go back to this recommendation. Identify the aspects of your application that vary and separate them from what stays the same. So there you go. We have the live ducks classes that all have a same type of flying behavior and then the non-live uh, ducks that have a similar type of flying behavior. So what can you do here? You don't want to use just straight inheritance because of this problem that we've already defined. What we want to do is we want to use composition using the strategy pattern. So essentially what the strategy pattern does is in the base class, you're going to have a member that is a uh, an interface. It uses an interface so that it uh, can can have lots of different types of that interface, right? So, for instance, we have a fly behavior inside of the base class, and all a fly behavior is is an interface, and that interface is implemented by different types of fly behaviors. So for instance, going back to the live and non-live ducks, they'll each implement, maybe there's one class that all it has is a behavior in it, all it has is a fly method in it that implements the fly interface. And inside of that class, you'll have that method flying or something, right? and then console.writeLine flying. Well, so that's one type of class that implements the fly behavior. The Then there's another one, maybe like not flying, right? So you'll have another class, not flying behavior that implements the fly uh, interface and the fly method inside of that not flying class says something like console.writeLine, I can't fly or something, right? So the base class has sort of like, it has a member variable, which is an instance of a class that implements the iFly interface, right? And then inside of the base class, essentially what you're going to do is you can either pass in that information, uh, the actual type of behavior in the constructor, or you could have a method that sets the fly behavior. So maybe you'll have inside the base class, you'll have a 
set fly method that passes in an, uh, a new instance of that I fly behavior object and then sets the member variable to that type of behavior you passed in. And then in your fly method in the base class, you'll basically just call the fly method on the fly interface, right? So inside of your fly method, it'll say something like, you know, shoot, I didn't give it a name, but like the instance of the iFly behavior dot fly. And then that'll look to those other classes of flying or not flying that implement the iFly interface and it based off of the type of object that's passed in and set in the base class, it will call the respective fly methods. Hopefully that sort of makes sense. So now basically, you know, you create, if you have a mallard class, right? The mallard class still inherits from the duck base class. But when you use that set fly method on the mallard duck, uh, on an instance of a mallard duck, you can pass in something like, you know, it'd be like um, first create the, the mallard, right? Like mallard m equals new mallard, right? And then you would say m dot set fly behavior, pass in new flying. And that's the one that uses the like I'm flying method, right? So now m has a concrete implementation of it's iFly instance. <laughs> and then on the next line, after you've set that, you just say m.fly. And based off of using this interface and passing in the concrete fly object, it knows that it can fly. The nice thing, though, is check this out. Let's say you have a mallard that like, gets injured and can no longer fly. So at runtime, you can change out that fly behavior. So now all you have to do is, let's say M, the object M gets injured. You can say M dot set fly behavior and pass in new uh, can't fly. And then whatever you call M dot fly, it'll output, I can't fly, right? So what it basically does is decouple the implementation out of these the base class and subclass into sort of this sort well into using composition which allows you to then change the behaviors of these ducks at runtime like again maybe some wizard comes along and turns this rubber duck into a real duck well at that point you're going to go back into the rubber duck and set its fly behavior to be able to really fly. And then it will be able to invoke the fly method that actually is, I can fly or whatever, right? This might be a little bit easier to show over, like to if you're seeing the code, but that's basically the strategy pattern. A good example that they have towards the end of the the chapter, which I think would resonate with game developers, is they have a character class. So they have a character base class, then they have a bunch of different types of characters. They have like king, queen, knight, 
whatever. And then inside of the base class, they use they have an instance of a i weapon interface, right? And then ev so then there are different types of weapon classes. And all of those maybe have like an attack method, right? So maybe you'll have uh, you'll have a sword that implements the I weapon interface, and the sword's uh, attack method is like slash, right? And then you'll have like a spear class that implements the I weapon interface, and it has a its attack method is like you know stab or something, right? Or you have a bow weapon that implements the I weapon interface, and its attack method is fire or shoot or something, right? So then each of those characters then can use a weapon interchangeably. Like maybe the knight starts with the sword and it breaks, so he goes to his dagger. And all you'd have to do instead of fussing with this giant weird hierarchy of classes that inherit from one another all you have to do is set the weapon type that he's using to from sword to dagger so it really kind of like the idea of it is kind of complicated but it's really not and honestly it is a very simple solution to something that could be insanely complicated so there you have it <laughs> i'm a beginner at all this stuff so i may not be explaining it absolutely correctly but these are my attempt to try to explain strat uh, design patterns and help kind of generate some interest in our community to start thinking about when you can implement these design patterns or at least kind of know about them um, another quote from the book that I wanted to share with you all was, uh, they say, design patterns give you a shared vocabulary with other developers. Once you've got the vocabulary, you can more easily communicate with other developers and inspire those who don't know patterns to start learning them. It also elevates your thinking about architectures by letting you think at the pattern level, not the nitty gritty object level. So basically, people use design patterns for a good reason. They're tried and true, very tested, and instead of having to go into the long-winded details of how you implemented something, you can just say, I implemented this pattern. So on the next page, they have this, this guy, Rick, and he has this little bubble above him, and he's talking to a coworker. He said, so I created this broadcast class. It keeps track of all the objects listening to it, and anytime a new piece of data comes along, it sends a message to each listener. What's cool is that the listeners can join the broadcast at any time, or they can even remove themselves. It is really dynamic and loosely coupled. And uh, then his coworker says, Rick, why didn't you just say you're using the observer pattern? <laughs> right? So he could have just said, yeah, I'm using the observer pattern for this project. Other developers that are aware of design patterns would know exactly what he's talking about and exactly how he implemented it because it's kind of this common language for architecting your software. So I'm on this journey um, because I want to become a better programmer. 
I think my design skills are very poor. And so I, I really want to learn about this and, and make more succinct and better design software. So I hope that you guys out there are in a similar position. And I'm going to try to continue doing these every so often. I don't know if it's going to be once a week or maybe once a month. I don't want to take too much time on the podcast to go this in depth. I guess it lasted a lot longer than I thought. But if you don't have this book, Head First Design Patterns, there's also the gameprogrammingpatterns.com, which I've talked about numerous times. I don't know that it has the strategy pattern. The thing with, with that I'm finding with design patterns is that there's a lot of them, and most resources only focus on like a subset of them. So like for instance, the book I'm reading only has 13. I believe the so there's a book that came out called Design Patterns by who the people that are known as the Gang of Four, and they came up with, I believe, 22 design patterns uh, like that have three different categories. And I forget what they are off the top of my head, but now we've expanded past all of those and there's like you know many more than that. So it's, it would be hard to cover all of them um, in a single resource. And I think that's partially why. But some of the ones that I've looked at are like all together, they might cover most of them. Uh, a lot of the resources I have are free. So check out those design patterns videos. You can follow along with me if you want to get some more insight into how they work. I definitely recommend both Derek Bannis and Christopher Okravi. And then check out this gameprogrammingpatterns.com. There's a free web book that they have. And I'm looking at it and they don't have strategy pattern. But they have some on here that we'll talk about soon. Uh, the next one I'll be talking about is the observer pattern. I'm going to, like I said, I'm just going to go through this book that I have first and then go from there. So check out the observer pattern if you want to kind of be in front of me. And uh, we'll talk about it next time. Also, if you guys like this segment, let me know. If you'd rather see it in video form, I might be interested in trying that. I'm not really sure. Um, a lot of this is for myself, but I also think that getting more people involved and interested in design patterns is going to make us all better. So that is the intent. Anyways, that's all I got time for this time. Thanks everyone for listening. Um, as always, you can hit us up on Twitter at GameDevsQuest. Email us at gdq at airpodcast.com. And uh, you can support us on Humble Bundle if you want to. bit.ly forward slash gdq hyphen humble. And join our Discord bit.ly forward slash gdq discord definitely stop by let me know if you like this or didn't like this and i'll keep chugging away so get out there guys learn to be better software architects it'll make you better game developers have a good week 